0: So, it's not too late to change the text. Um, it would be, because then I would be... No, I'm good. So today, we get to hear the ongoing portions of the Sermon on the Mount that I named um, in last week's sermon. Suffice to say, few preachers read this text and think, I can't wait to preach on this. Um, In a country where the divorce rate is about 50%, one can imagine why the text is challenging. Research shows that subsequent marriages have an even higher rate of divorce. This is not a sermon on divorce, by the way. Furthermore, um, this text, uh, the portion of it that's about divorce, it's actually steeped in patriarchy. The, what you got was an inclusive translation. So when you read it, it's all about um, the man uh, and the woman, and it, it's worse than it is in the inclusive translation. Anyway. <laughs> just so my position is clear, I don't think that divorce is the greatest offense to God. Like, we engage in all kinds of choices um, that wouldn't be God's hope for us, because we're humans. I think that the things that lead to divorce are often a greater sadness to God. I also believe that God desires for us life-giving relationship, and too often we are in patterns and habits that aren't life-giving. Or we make choices that disrespect and harm our marriage or our partner. It's complicated. I met with someone struggling in their marriage once who told me they needed to sit with someone who would tell them to stay because everyone was telling them to go. And I don't mean like all the friends. I mean like the therapist, like all the leaders and everyone. Um, and... <clears throat> um, I realized that this was an overcorrection. I think the easy leaving is that, and I don't encourage it per se. Uh, At the same time, I don't want people to feel trapped in dangerous or abusive situations or shamed into staying in a marriage by the church, as if God cares more about the vehicle for relationship than God cares about the relationship itself. But what I do want for folks is to do the deeply difficult work Of relationship. Marriage is hard because marriage is ultimately about relationship. Church is hard because people are here and we're asked to be in relationship. And relationship is hard. People can end their marriages and they can still be in relationship, but the vital work is actually in that relationship, in or out of the marriage. I regularly meet with couples who are struggling, and you may be one of them. You may be struggling and think you are the only one, so let me assure you, if you're in a hard marriage, you are the norm. Because being in a relationship is hard. The work of our life is relationship, which may help to explain why life feels so hard so often. The presence of God is found in our relationship, who knows and loves humanity in relationship. Now, I fully understand why people think faith is about lists and checkboxes. I love a good to-do list. I like crossing off when I get something done, the feeling that I've achieved something, completed stuff. Of course, that's not the purpose of faith, to complete it. Faith is what we hold for the journey. There isn't a destination we arrive at or enough things that get checked off. We don't get badges for our purity or righteousness. But you might think that, as for nearly two millennia, the institution of the church has attempted to create the rules to ensure right relationship to God. This comes out of the Hebrew tradition. It's claimed by the one we follow. It comes from basic human instincts. It comes from how we understand God. Today's Hebrew scripture it comes from the book of Deuteronomy. It's found in what we call the Pentateuch. This refers to the first five books of the Bible that we find in what is called the Old Testament of the Christian Bibles. This section of the scripture is what the Jewish people refer to as Torah. The first four books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, they come from the voice of the priestly tradition. And this fifth book Deuteronomy, it's the voice of the Deuteronomic tradition. It's a different writer, this fifth book. Uh, so it's a different voice than what's been experienced to at this point in the scriptures. Deuteronomy, it's a narrative of the people of Israel finally nearing their entry into the Promised Land. It comes after slavery in Egypt and being led out of Egypt. It comes after the Ten Commandments and the Levitical Purity Codes. It comes after the Israelites wander in the desert. It's a culmination of Moses' ministry and his leadership for the Hebrew people. People who deeply desired to get things right with God sought the wisdom of this holy man. In this text for today, the writer speaks to this naming that life, prosperity, death, and adversity have been set before us. The words maintain that obedience to God's commandments come by loving God and walking in God's ways. That there are commandments, decrees, and ordinances, and they should be attended to, but there is a need for the law to live in your heart. And to transform you. The laws, they exist to transform you for living in relationship to God and to God's people. There is a fear that your heart could be turned away, that in doing so, one would serve other gods. That can indeed happen. Indeed, it does all the time. So these rules, they aren't without value, but it bears reminding that most laws are an attempt by the faithful to find a path to being in relationship with God. They presuppose an understanding of God that sees God as distant and disconnected, and they provide the strategy for reconnection. In their book, The Divine Dance, Richard Rohr and Mike Morell explain the religion, spirituality, and politics of worthiness games, belonging barriers, and achievement rewards will never be the cure. These are, in fact, part of the disease. They believe a revolution is underway, suggesting that the old plausibility structures of divinity are diminishing. And much of religion, they say is in rigor mortis. You can tell me if that's a good or a bad thing. They instead propose that we exist only in relationship. The core of our being is known in engagement and connection. And God is only known in relatedness. They argue that salvation is simply the readiness, capacity, and the willingness... Stay in relationship. You know what distances us from one another and allows us to participate in doing the bare minimum? The law. The law itself doesn't change our heart, our hearts change how we actively live into the law. That can make all the difference. So look at these texts from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from today. These aren't simply a list of do's and don'ts. Jesus takes the list and says the law demands more of you than you know. You can follow all the laws and still be missing the point. You cannot murder and still hold anger, insult, or disrespect your neighbor. You can come to receive God's forgiveness and love without offering that forgiveness and love to others. You can go to court and still not make right what has been unjust. You can go to court and swear, but not be honoring your oath to God. Time and again, Jesus tells the people that he is not replacing the tradition from which he comes. He is more fully living into it. And in this part of the text, he is inviting God's people to do that as well. Theologian Eric Barreto of Princeton Theological Seminary explains that Jesus is calling his followers not to a checklist of morality, but to a flourishing of life. Not to a baseline of decency, but to an embodied, relational, transformative encounter with all whom we meet. Not to a sufficient set of hurdles for righteousness, but to a path of wholeness with creature and creator alike. To choose life, it will ask of us a complete and utter shift in our focus. It will ask us to live a life that is more expansive than a checklist that would pass someone's muster of good and bad. We have seen all kinds of folks claim the Christian faith and engage in the world that is destructive and disconnected. But choosing life is relational existence. It won't ask a minimal level of engagement. It will ask you to see all things through the lens of the God's realm. It will ask you to see God in all things. This week it was announced the current administration will send elite tactical teams to round up undocumented immigrants in sanctuary cities. It's an act of power over, othering those who are our neighbors and deep-seated white supremacy as the target is primarily brown-skinned Latinx folks. It's a refusal to see the face of God in those who seek a better life, those who seek to escape violence and death in their native lands. This is ultimately a denial of relationship. So two or three weeks back, a bunch of us gathered on a Saturday morning um, to do a workshop called Relating as a Spiritual Practice. When I asked you earlier to gaze into each other's eyes for five seconds, one of the activities we did was we sat um, across from one another and we gazed into each other's eyes for way more than five seconds. seconds—like what was probably six hours for most of us. That's what it felt like. The actual task at hand was seeing the person in front of us. And as we left that day, we said, what if during the passing of the piece, we were a little more intentional by looking into people's eyes? And so people were told to to do that. The report back is that most of you all don't like that. Um, I called that, I'm like, you'll be like the presence patrol. You'll go out, no one will know you're there, seeking eye contact and connection and seeing if you can get it at church. We're not wired... To default to it all the time, it is indeed part of the spiritual work of life. It can be a discipline for some more than others, like Talise, who doesn't really like the kids uh, that whole passing of the peace. And I think it has. There's an introvert extrovert thing. I totally get it. Um, but here's the, the 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 ask, right? It's about seeing the people in front of us. It's about connecting with one another. Life can only expand where life is being lived and cherished for all. The danger in our faith is that it was a list of check boxes, and that is a belief that all that is to be has been imagined. It assumes a static God that Rohr and morell explain as a supreme monarch who's mostly living in splendid isolation from that which God has created. They say this God is seen largely as a critical spectator. And this God's followers do their level best to imitate their creator in this regard. That disconnect from God's beloved creation, it is built into the fabricated and deficient story of the church that fails to take seriously the relational nature of a God who we proclaim is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus knew it. It was the critique he made of the religious leaders of his day who pushed people away and sought to create divisions and boundaries. Humans have a habit of choosing death and adversity, war and hatred, violence and fear. You can't get to the abundant life through these things, though. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King reminded folks that hate begets hate, violence begets violence, toughness begets a greater toughness. These weren't words that came from naivete. They came from a deep wisdom that we choose the, sp- the cycle that we spin in. If you want life, then you have to choose life. And we have to seek a world in a way that cultivates life and love for others. If the law was created to bridge connection to God, then it forces us toward dis. And and then if it forces us toward disconnection, it may not be God's law. It may help us order our lives and imagine a distant God's approval, but lead us from the very thing that we seek. If we want to know God, if we want to walk in God's ways, we must choose love. And we must choose connection. It is the way that God moves in the world. So to refuse it, refuses God. But here's the thing. Relationship, it is messy. And it's hard. It hurts. And we get things wrong. It breaks our hearts. And it heals our wounds. It brings us joy. And it connects us to one another. Wherever you practice relationship, God is present. Wherever you choose, choose connection over disconnection and divide, the Spirit of God will be all around. But if you only choose relationship when it's easy, when you can cross off all the requirements on the list, when things work, then you'll refuse the gift of transformation that is central to our relationship with the world around us and the still-speaking God we proclaim and serve. It's a way of living, but it may not be a life well-lived. May we be a people that seek a life well-lived, that sees the face of God in all who we meet and seeks relationship even above being right. Amen.